This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we had a Game 7 in the NBA yesterday. The Orioles uh, busted out the whooping sticks against the Indians, but not all news was good news for Baltimore. The Nationals and Phillies played a bizarre game in uh, Philadelphia yesterday. And a falcon flies the coop and lands in Tennessee. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of today's show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you. You could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. And since it's Monday, another essential work week. Several ways to get involved on the show, as always. Our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush. At Rush Tony C. Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All three of those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. Drop me a line a message whenever you want. You know the deal by now. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day. Uh, minus commercials. So we take it all out, we clean it up, shorten it up. It's all, it's just a big chunk of show. So if you missed anything, you can go back and uh, and just listen. It's all right there for you. Fair enough? Be- before we rock around, I'm tired today, man. I am just, okay, I know, I know, right? Since when am I not tired? I get it. But some days are just worse than others. I'm whooped. Uh, graduation parties this weekend, a lot of running around. Trying to get ready for my own graduation. Not mine, my son's this coming weekend. Just tired. Had a good time. Good friends yesterday. Graduation party yesterday. And uh, I guess maybe what I'm trying to say, uh, too good of a time. And I'm a bit uh, dried out today. <laughs> Did not sleep well, a lot of tossing and turning. I'm just, I'm in a bad way this morning. I, I just want to, you know, this, you ever see our microphones? We have the big uh, spit guards on them, the big uh, big puffy things here. They're, they're so soft. I just want to lay my head down right here on, on the microphone and just, you know, do, you know, do one of those jobs. So if that happens, if, you know, Somebody call and wake me up. Shoot me a text. <laughs> anyway, uh, glad to have you on board uh, on this Monday. Let's kick off today's show as we kick off every show with a rocker on the region. I want to rock! 
And we start with Major League Baseball, where, as I mentioned just a short time ago, the Oreos busted out the whooping sticks against Cleveland. Next pitch, he cranks it to right field. Naylor going back. There's another run. It is out of here. Ramon Urias hits it off the top of the grounds cruise shed, and then it caroms into the seats. 18-3 Orioles. Are you kidding me? No, uh, not kidding you. The call on the Orioles radio network, 18-5 the final as the O's take two of three in that series. The 18 runs the most for Baltimore uh, since they beat Oakland 18-2 in August of 2015. Anthony Santander, three hits, drove in three. Cedric Mullins homeward and drove in two as the O's racked up a season-high 21 hits. Now, uh, that was the good news for the O's. The bad news, before the game, they placed their ace, John Means, on the 10-day injured list with a left shoulder strain. Uh, Means left in the first inning of Saturday's game after facing just five batters. Manager Brandon Hyde said an MRI revealed no structural damage. That's good news. Uh, Means is 4-2 this season. Of course, he threw a no-hitter. He is fourth in the American League with an ERA of 2.28. Elsewhere in the bigs, the Pirates were going for a four-game sweep of the Marlins in Pittsburgh. Swinging a ground ball toward the second. Frazier stops, plants, gets the throw off, but it goes off Gonzalez's glove. That allows Chisholm to come in from third to score. Marte will advance to third. They don't get anybody out, and the Marlins take a lead, 2-1. to one. The call on the Pirates Radio Network, uh, 3-1 the final. Was that even in English? The Pirates Radio Network. I managed to take three words and turn it into one word. 3-1 the final. The Marlins win to snap an eight-game losing streak and avoid getting swept. Jesus Aguilar homered and drove in two for Miami. Colin Moran, Redbeard, just activated from the injured list, uh, had an RBI double for the Bucks. And in Philadelphia, a milestone for Phillies catcher J.T. Realmuto. Two and one. Now to right field. Soto going back toward the scoreboard. It is gone! Number 100 for J.T. Realmuto. It's an opposite field shot. A three-run bomb, and the Phils extend their lead. The call on NBC Sports Philadelphia, 12-6 the final. As the Phillies take the last two games of the three-game set, Philly used a seven-run fourth inning to erase a 3-0 deficit, then added two in the fifth and three more in the sixth on that home run to blow the game wide open, Juan Soto had an RBI triple and RBI single for the Nats. Uh, More on this game in just a bit. In high school baseball and softball, we have a couple of section titles up for grabs today in Mineral County, weather permitting. The Frankfurt baseball team is hosting Berkeley Springs. The Kaiser softball team is hosting Grafton. A win for either will give them the section championship. A loss means a second game will need to be played to decide the title. 
In Class A Baseball, number 2 Petersburg and number 1 Moorfield will play for the Region 2 Section 2 Championship. Petersburg needs to win to force a second game tomorrow. And also today, Fort Hill is at Mountain Ridge. Baseball, that is. I do believe that's a playoff. Yeah, playoff start today. So there you go. Fort Hill at Mountain Ridge. Some playoff action on the Maryland side. How about that? And if I'm not mistaken, uh, I do believe Southern plays Allegheny Wednesday, I think. Don't quote me on that. But I think it's Wednesday. I was talking to an Allegheny player yesterday. And he said it was Wednesday. So there you go. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you uh, by the Caporelli Group. So uh, going back to the Nationals-Phillies game for a second. All right. A funny thing kind of happened, and then a not-so-funny uh, thing kind of happened. Very scary moment in the top of the third for uh, Nats pitcher Austin Voth. Now, Voth was starting because Steven Strasburg and Eric Fetty, both unavailable, both on the injured list. And it was going to be a bullpen game, right? Davey Martinez, he wanted Voth to go the first three innings, you know, and then, you know, bullpen, bullpen, reliever, reliever, one of those games. Unfortunately for both, he didn't make it through three because he was hit in the face with a pitch from uh, Vince Velasquez. And we've had this discussion before, have we not? Third time this season, a batter has been hit in the face with a pitch. And the way it went down, Victor Robles was on first after he was hit by a pitch. And Voth was trying to move him over, sacrifice. And he squared to bunt when a Velasquez fastball went up and in at 90 miles per. And it clipped Voth's helmet and deflected off the bill of the helmet and broke his nose. There was blood gushing out, as you can imagine. Just a scary situation. He did walk off the field, and the team said he will remain in Philadelphia to have his nose reset as the Nationals head south for a two-game series against Tampa uh, starting tomorrow. And then, in the <laughs> top of the eighth inning, this happened. Heading down, heading down. has gone down. That's not good. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Well, it's never happened before. Not during a game. Andy, get out of there, Andy. He's caught in Spider-Man's web. <laughs> uh, they're calling everyone off the field to fix it. Yeah, they're going to have to. I mean, fortunately, uh, everybody's okay because it was just the netting that came down. I don't know how you even fix something like that. I don't know where it... Detached originally. Well, that was Tom McCarthy and John Cruck on NBC Sports Philadelphia. And you can hear Cruck at the beginning go, uh-oh, netting down, netting down. Trey Turner was at bat when the netting behind home plate just collapsed, just fell down from, <laughs> from behind home all the way to each dugout. The net fell down behind home. It fell into the camera wells. It fell into the dugouts. It just fell. It just collapsed. And it took the grounds crew just over 20 minutes to fix it. 
And what they ended up doing was they used tractors to pull the wire, kind of like a, a pulley system. They used tractors to pull the wires to raise the nets up until they can secure the nets again on the guide wires. Just a bizarre situation. And you heard you know, Tom McCarthy say, fortunately, nobody was hurt because it was just the net that fell. The, the cables and the guide wires, just they stayed put. They didn't snap because Lord knows what could happen if one of those things get cut loose. Just a weird, weird game, bizarre game in Philadelphia yesterday between the Phils and Nats. And as I said, Phils won. They doubled them up. Uh, they won the game uh, 12 to 6. Never seen that happen. Never seen it happen in any game at any point. The net just, whoosh, just falls over. So there you go. All right, uh, moving on. Want to start the NBA? Is that we're going to go. We we can we can either talk about the NBA now, or we could talk about just how horrible my cornhole game has become. Can we, can we want to do that? I mean, we could do that. Why not? I mentioned I was at a graduation party uh, yesterday, and the, the thing to do, right? You go to a lot of parties. You play cornhole. Right? That's like. Still a very popular game. And over at our friend's house, that's you know, that's what we do. I haven't I hadn't thrown bags in a while. I'll admit I'm out of you know out of practice. But man, I'm telling you. And I, I run my mouth a lot. I do. I know. Shocking. It's it's hard to believe. You know, we, we all we talk smack, we talk junk when we play. When we used to play before. We would always uh, talk about imaginary, like winning the imaginary belt, right? Like we just you know, put our hands over our waist and you know, and, and wrap around like the the you know, like the who did that on the commercial? Was that like Aaron Rodgers with with the belt, like a double check thing or whatever? And wrestlers do wrestlers do it all the time with, with the the belt thing. So that was always the thing that we did. Like yo, got to win the belt. Going to win the belt today, right? And it got to the point where I actually bought one. I bought, I went online and I bought a replica uh, championship belt and mailed it to my buddy Doug. Since we always talk about winning the belt when we play cornhole. And Doug has had the belt ever since. And I always talk junk that I'm going to win the belt and I can't, I can't win it. I can't take the belt from Doug. I'm talking junk yesterday that I'm going to take the belt. And I can't my, my my cornhole game is just not where it used to be. I just need to practice. I need to. It's like anything else, right? You can't just you can't just pick up after months off and expect to be any good. Go to this party yesterday, and my boys Doug and Jared whooped up on us like it was nobody's business. We won the first game and and didn't win anything after that. Beat them the first time. They even one game they beat us twenty one nothing. Twenty one nothing. You know how embarrassing that is. You know how embarrassing it is to play a game of cornhole and lose 21-0? And we usually play skunk. If you're down 11-0, that's it. Game's over, right? You, you get skunked. We're like, oh, no, we're not going to. We're, no, we're not getting skunk. We're not playing those rules today. We're going the distance. And we went the distance and still got skunk 21-0. Very embarrassing. It's just it's awful. The decline in my game is a serious matter. Got to step it up. 
Got to step it up. Because guess who's coming to my house, my turf, this weekend for my son's graduation party? (laughs) Got to protect this house, right? Got to protect my house. I'll be practicing every day this week. Enough of the uh, exciting uh, cornhole talk. Uh, There there was an exciting game yesterday, right? Uh, Two of the more exciting words in sports. Game seven. And we had one. First round series between the Clippers and the Mavericks in L.A. Dallas had a 3-2 series lead. Chance to close it out at home, speaking of protecting this house, on Friday, but they could not do it. So the Clips had a chance yesterday to do something that neither team could do the entire series. Win a game at home. 97-85 Clippers. Kennard on the right wing. Guarded by Jalen Brunson. Will rise, fire, and connect. Clippers hitting their three-pointers when it counts most. The most important game of the year, Game 7. That was the call on ESPN Radio. That was part of a 24-4 run in the third quarter to put L.A. up 100-85. Now, the Clippers struggled to make three-pointers for most of the series. That was definitely not the case yesterday. They certainly found the range, making 20, 20 from beyond the arc, led by Marcus Morris. Here's Leonard with it against Porzingis. Explodes to his right, now pulls back beyond the arc. Finds Morris open, corner three on its way. It's good with a minute 15 to go. On an afternoon, the Clippers finally found their three-point shot. Two big hits in the last two minutes to take the lead by 13. Six three-pointers for Morris. He ended up with 23 points as the Clippers won the game 126-111 to eliminate Dallas for the second straight year. Kawhi Leonard, big game for L.A., just missing a triple-double, 28 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. He is just the fourth player in NBA playoff history to score at least 200 points and shoot at least 60% from the floor in a single series. Last player to do that was Shaq, with the Lakers in the 2000 Finals. Here's Kawhi after the game. I mean, we just fought hard. We never gave up. Uh, We know what type of team we were. Uh, You know, we all watched film. We wanted to get better. Uh, And we did it on the defense again. And, uh, you know, we came back and Dallas won those two games. And, you know, it was a season from there. You said that you had a defensive mindset. (laughs) You said you had a defensive mindset against Luka in game six. Did you carry that? the way he shot against other defenders, the way he shot against you and Paul? I mean, you know, the whole season, we I mean, the whole series, we uh, we have to lock in on him. Uh, he, he's a phenomenal player, great one-on-one player, could pass uh, to his teammates. And, you know, you, you can't just pick one game to lock in. You have to stay focused throughout the whole, you know, series. If it's seven games or four games, and, um, you know, us just having that mental focus uh, just helped us throughout the series. You heard him mention Luka, as in Luka Doncic had a great game for the Mavs, had a great series overall. 46 points yesterday, 14 assists, 7 boards. For the entire series, in total, 250 points, 55 rebounds, 72 assists. Now do the math over 7 games. That's 35.7 points, 
nearly eight rebounds and 10 assists per game for Doncic in the series. Still not enough to help the Mavs move on. And they haven't won a playoff series since winning the championship back in 2011. They haven't won a playoff series in 10 years. The Clips, they do move on to face top-seeded Utah in round two. Clippers, by the way, the fifth team in NBA history to win a playoff series after losing the first two games at home. I told you, yesterday was the first game the home team won the entire series. The first six games... The road team won. That was only the fifth time it's ever happened. Or the first, I'm sorry, the first time that's ever happened in NBA history. But the Clips went on the or they went at home. They get Utah in round two to put a cap on the series and look ahead to that Utah series. The guys who called the game yesterday here on ESPN Radio, John Kessischer. And John Barry. Well, the Clippers finally become the first home team in this series to win a game. And JB, it's the clinching game. It was a tight one, but they finally hit three pointers, and that blitz at the end of the third quarter set up the Clippers as they move on to round two. Yeah, I thought Kawhi Leonard's defense on Doncic in that second half was the key. After 29 for Luka in that first half, uh, he had it going every which way. And Kawhi didn't get a lot of them in that first half, but. Uh, it was a concerted effort to get Kawhi on him and no switching on the pick and rolls. And not only did the Kawhi do it on the offensive end, he shut down Luka in that third quarter. And then I just believed in the three-point the three point shooting was going to be a key. And whoever made the most threes today was going to win or shot it better. And clearly that was the L.A. Clippers as they doubled up the Mavericks, making 20 to their 10. You know, hats off. These Both these coaches made a ton of adjustments throughout the seven games. And as you said, Home team wins. I think the Clippers were a better team. They didn't show it on some of the nights, but uh, they're going to be the team moving on. Balanced scoring, seven guys in double figures. Let's not forget about what Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard did. 24 points for those two off the bench in limited minutes. Uh, they were big. Yeah, and that was huge for a team that did hardly got any bench points in game six in that uh uh, win in Dallas uh, the other night as Kawhi Leonard was able to come through and force the seventh game. You know, I would ask you, I know they say it's a make-or-miss league, and finally the Clippers uh, get out and hit 23-pointers. Does that carry over at all to Utah? Because if I, if I remember correctly, Utah um, gives up the least amount of three-pointers during the regular season. Will that carry over heading into round two? Yeah, well, they better hope so because I can tell you this, Utah is going to make some threes. Uh, uh, not many teams shoot it better than Utah. Uh, they were on fire against Memphis after losing that first game, getting Donovan Mitchell back. Maybe 53s combined in a game. It certainly wouldn't surprise me. They both shoot it great. It's going to be a fun up-and-down series, and it's going to come down to who can defend uh, for an extended period of time in these ball games. that's going to win. Uh, but I can't wait to see it. Two great offensive teams. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. Clippers and Jazz from Utah. Game one will be on Tuesday. All the matchups are set for the second round. Clippers take out the Mavericks. Kawhi Leonard came up in a cis shy of a triple-double. Luka Doncic, 46 in the losing effort. Second straight year, the Clippers take out the Mavericks in round one. That was Mark Kessischer and John Barry, not John Kessinger. <laughs> Apologies to Mark. Now we had another game yesterday. Not a game seven, but a game one. Second round Eastern Conference. And we'll talk about that game next after news and weather and this break. Stick around. Glad to have you on board. 102.1 FM, AM 1230. WCMD. 
This is the Morning Rush. Right now we're talking NBA. I uh, just got done in the last segment talking about the Clips taking out the Mavs in Game 7. Clips move on to face Utah in the second round of the Western uh, Conference playoffs. There was another game yesterday. It was a Game 1. First game of the Eastern Conference semifinal between the Hawks and the Sixers in Philly. And really, the game looked like it was going to be a blowout early. I mean, the Hawks were just on fire, but it didn't end that way. Trey Young, well, it ended well for Atlanta, but it was closer than it should have been. Uh, Trey Young scored 25 of his 35 points in the first half as Atlanta built a 26-point lead in that first half, but Sixers came all the way back, actually pulled to within three, with just over a minute left to play, but Boyan Bogdanovich, who didn't play at all against the Sixers in the regular season because he had a knee injury, he drained a three late uh, to give Atlanta a little bit of breathing room, and they hold on to win 128-124 to take the first game of the series in front of more than 18,000 fans in Philly. It was the Sixers' biggest crowd of the year. Now the Hawks, just like the Clippers did against Dallas, made 23-pointers. Told you they were on fire. They made 14 of their 18. I'm sorry, they made 14 of their first. Their first eight. Let me try that again. Let me try it again. Let's back it up. We can be a little better. Slow it down. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? Anyway, they made 14 of their first 18 shots of the game, and they used a 17-0 run to jump out to that big first-half lead. Here's Trey Young with ABC's Lisa Salters after the victory. Trey, you guys dominated most of the game, but it ended up coming down to the wire. How were you able to hold on? Yeah, uh, we got we got to do a better job of closing out games better, and uh, it starts with me. I had a lot of careless turnovers late in that game. Uh, I can I can get better at, um, but that's a good thing. We we got a lot of things we can get better at, and we still won the game. So uh, it's a, it's a lot of things we can learn from. But it's glad I'm glad we got the win. Now you guys didn't have any timeouts, so you couldn't call timeout and talk it over. Just so, what were you saying to yourself down the stretch? Uh, just get the ball in. Just get the ball in. Try to get get it to either me or Bogey or one of our good free throw shooters and, and try to close this game out with free throws. So, uh, like I said, we, we had a lot of late turnovers. It started with me um, late in the game, and, and I got to be better at that. And so how did we get to this point? Like I said, you guys dominated. Why was this game so close? Uh, we we, uh, we kind of let our foot off the gas uh, late in that second half. And, and uh, I mean, they're a good team. We knew they were going to make a run, and they got a lot of weapons over there who can get going. So for us, we got to stay locked in for a 448. And... Um, and we'll be okay. After just coming from Madison Square Garden, you said you didn't know what to expect from the fans here in Philly. So how did how did it go, game one? Yeah, I mean, it was good. I mean, it's a great environment. Obviously, Philly fans are, 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 are big for their team. Um, a lot of them know basketball. And uh, it's, it's a good environment for me. I'm just coming out here. I don't care about the fans. I just want to play basketball and have fun. You've said that you're just so happy, and it means a lot that, that people actually get to see you guys, your team, you on a big stage. What do you think you showed people with this game win, game on win? Uh, I mean that we're we're capable of winning games. Uh, we we've had a lot of injuries throughout the year, and I mean us not being on TV a lot, a lot of people don't know that. So for us, getting guys healthy, obviously we can still get Dre Hunter back, but 
uh, just that we can play, and uh, we're here to we're here to win games. Now, Joel Embiid uh, did what he could for the Sixers. Remember, he was playing on a a slightly torn meniscus. Not bad for a guy injured. 39 points, 8 rebounds in 38 minutes. Here is Embiid after the game. Like I said, playing on a torn meniscus is not easy. Uh, all I got to do is keep managing it, uh, you know, do my best, uh, you know, do uh, get as much treatment as I can, uh, try to manage it to make sure that it doesn't swell up too much. Um, uh, obviously, uh, the pain is going to be there. That's normal. Um, but it's all about, you know, managing it and, you know, doing whatever it takes to win. Because, uh, you know, my goal is to win the championship. And, you know, I'm going to put my body on the line to make sure that happens. Uh, I'm going to give everything I got. It's the playoffs. Uh, you can't worry about, you know, I'm in the middle. Someone is supposed to play or he's going to play. Uh, you got to go with your best guys. Um, and, you know, as long as, you know, uh, I'm okay to be out there, um, I, and I'm gonna give my best, and I'm gonna keep pushing until you know I can't. Um, but as long as I'm out there, I'm gonna play hard, and you know I'm gonna die for loose balls. Uh, you know I'm gonna do whatever it takes to win. So there is uh, Joel Embiid after the loss, the four-point loss. And again, good game for a guy who's uh, who's injured right now, playing through the pain. Got to give him uh, give him credit for doing that. Uh, Tobias Harris had 20 points and 10 boards for Philly. Ben Simmons only had 17 points and again struggled from the free throw line, making just three of 10. Bogdanovich and John Collins each had 21 points for the Hawks, who have won four straight playoff games for just the second time in franchise history. Here's head coach Nate McMillan on his team's performance and hanging on at the end. I think they continue to just show growth. Uh, you know, we, we know that we didn't finish well, but I like our start. I thought we uh, came in uh, with a lot of composure. Uh, we came in uh, believing in uh, ourselves. And, you know, we, had, we knew we had to play, uh, get off to a good, good start. And uh, we did that. You know, the first quarter, we scored 42 points. I thought our defense was really solid. Uh, in that uh, first quarter. Second quarter, again, we started to turn the ball over, which allowed them to get out into transition. And they they make you uh, pay when you turn the balls o- ball over. So really, you know, we, we had some good quarter quarters. Uh, we know we're going to have to be better in the next game uh, because they're going to be uh, more aggressive. Uh, they're going to be more physical. Uh, they're going to be attacking as they were in the second uh, half of this game. Now, the Sixers weren't good from either line, the free throw or three-point. I told you Ben Simmons was 3 of 10 from the free throw line. It's a team the Sixers were 24 of 35. So they missed 11 shots from the foul line, which is key in a game that you lose by four. And they missed 19 of 29 three-pointers. So not a good shooting effort for the Sixers uh, in yesterday's loss. So they trail the series 1-0, a chance to tie it up game two uh, tomorrow night in Philly. All right, time for a break, and then we'll be back to wrap up our number one of the morning rush on this Monday morning. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
This is the morning rush. The Penguins uh, released some news on Friday, a Friday news dump, that Evgeny Malkin underwent successful surgery on his right knee. Now, we knew something was up with Malkin. He he looked okay in, in the playoff series against the Islanders, but he had missed a bunch of time before that. And he was injured back on, uh, I think it was March, right? Mid-March against Boston. Missed the final six weeks of the regular season. And he missed the first two games uh, of the playoffs. Came back, looked okay. Right? He had a goal, I think, maybe four assists. I think I think that's right. Five points in the series. Turns out he was playing on a really, really badly injured knee. So much so that he had to have surgery. And he is not expected to be available for training camp in September. So I think that that show we're not exactly sure what the injury was. There's really no details on it. But I think that shows you the extent of that injury, that the surgery is going to put him on a shelf. I mean, we're talking about, you know, early June here. And he still won't be ready for camp in September. So anybody who may have been criticizing Malkin for not playing or maybe not playing to the best of his abilities, now you know why. Playing on a badly injured knee that required surgery. I also think, I also think, really, that's that's good grammar. I also think that any discussion, any talk, of the Penguins trading Malkin in the offseason, that's dead. Because as soon as the Pens lost a series against the Islanders, you know, everybody's like, oh, something's... I said it myself. Big changes got to come. Changes got to be made. This team can't win. And people have been clamoring for a couple years now for the Pens to break up that core, that group of Crosby, Malkin, and Chris Letang. Right, it's time to, to to break them up, trade some pieces off, and Latang and Malkin. You're not trading Sidney Crosby. I don't care who you are. Nobody's that stupid. But maybe Malkin, maybe Latang, trade them while they're still tradable. Get some, you know, draft picks, pieces, whatever. That's off the shelf now. So Latang, he's he's probably still, you know, if the Pens want to go that direction. Ron Hextall, the new GM, said they weren't going to. He, he said he didn't expect major changes in the offseason. But Latang's still out there. If they want to, they can dangle him and see what happens. With Malkin and the injury and now the surgery, I'm fairly certain who's going to trade for him now, you know? So hopefully, if he can't be in camp in, camp in September, regular season starts in October, maybe, hopefully, he'll be back at some point before the year comes to an end. And we'll have some more NHL talk uh, next hour. I'll tell you one thing. That Colorado uh, Vegas series is a fantastic series. I was at a graduation party Saturday. That's how, that's how I spent my entire weekend. And we got home late. And of course, the game was out in Vegas, so it was it was uh, you know uh, 
it was a later, later start time. And Vegas ends up winning the game. But that Vegas-Colorado game, that game, it was game three. I didn't see any of yesterday's game. But my goodness, it was a great hockey game. Just up and down action. The crowd, the, the place in Vegas was packed. Packed to the rafters. Not a not an empty seat in the house in Vegas. I, I know I still make some people nervous. Whatever. But the place was loud. It was energized. Two fast skating teams up and down the ice. And it looked like, because going in, the Avs won the first two games in Colorado. So they were up two games to none. They were leading the game two to one. I wouldn't say late in the third, but it was it was getting there. It was inside the 10-minute mark. And it looked like they may actually, you know, seal the deal and take a three games to none lead. Vegas scores twice with in 41 seconds. Bang, bang. To take a 3-2 lead and they win the game. And they won yesterday. Now the series is tied. But I'm telling you right now, you want to talk about something giving you goosebumps. I got him right now just talking about it. Vegas scores those two goals in 40 seconds. And that place erupted, was on fire. It was a madhouse. And I missed that so much. I We as sports fans, have, we've missed that so much. Having people in the barns, in the arenas, in the stadiums, the energy level, what a crowd can do for the atmosphere, for the home team. It was, and I don't have a dog in the fight. I root for Vegas because, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, so the goal t- you know, he's a goaltender. And I have a soft spot for Fleury for his time in Pittsburgh. So I kind of pull for Vegas, you know, quietly. I guess not so quietly now. But overall, I mean, if Vegas loses, I'm not going to lose any sleepover. But ju- to the point where, look, when Vegas scored those two goals, I celebrated. I I, I, I fist bumped, right? H- hands in the air. And a lot had to do with the fact when those goals were scored, the crowd went absolutely bonkers. And I love it. All right, hour number one done. Hour number two around the corner. Stick around, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. So if you missed anything, any show, it's all right there. For instance, if you missed the last hour, we ran down the uh, two NBA playoff games from yesterday. The Clips beating the Mavs in Game 7 to win their first-round series. The Hawks beating the Sixers in Game 1 of their Eastern Conference second-round series. A little hockey talk. Evgeny Malkin, knee surgery for the Penguins. We talked about the serious decline in my uh, cornhole game as put on full display yesterday at a graduation party. I used to be good. Now I suck, and I don't know why. I guess I don't play as much as I used to. I used to be king. I used not king. That's a little bit. It's an exaggeration. But I used to be pretty good. Used to be a time when I played cornhole. I won more games than I lost. Now it's not the case. Yesterday I was humbled. Anyway, 
Check it all out on our podcast page if you uh, if you want. All right, uh, let's one more time this morning. Rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start in Major League Baseball, where the Orioles busted out the whooping sticks against Cleveland. Next pitch, he cranks it to right field. Naylor going back. There's another run. It is out of here. Ramon Urias hits it off the top of the grounds cruise shed, and then it caroms into the seats. 18-3 Orioles. Are you kidding me? No, we are not kidding you. The call on the Orioles radio network, 18-5 the final. As the O's take 2-3 in the series, the 18 runs the most for Baltimore since they beat Oakland 18-2 in August of 2015. Anthony Santander, three hits and drove in three. Cedric Mullins, a homer, and drove in two as the O's racked up a season-high 21 hits. Now, that was the good news for the O's. The bad news before the game They placed their ace, John Means, on the 10-day injured list with a left shoulder strain. Uh, Means left in the first inning of Saturday's game after facing just five batters. Manager uh, Brandon Hyde said an MRI revealed no structural damage, so that is good news. Means is 4-2 this season, of course, threw a no-hitter earlier, fourth in the American League with an ERA of 2.28. Elsewhere in the bigs, the Pirates were going for a four-game sweep of the Marlins in Pittsburgh. Swinging a ground ball toward the second. Frazier stops, plants, gets the throw off, but it goes off Gonzalez's glove. That allows Chisholm to come in from third to score. Marte will advance to third. They don't get anybody out, and the Marlins take a lead, 2-1. to one. Call on the Pirates radio network, 3-1 to one the final. Marlins win to snap an eight-game losing streak and avoid getting swept. Jesus Aguilar homered and drove in two for Miami. Colin Moran, an old Redbeard, just activated from the injured list, had an RBI double for the Bucks. And in Philadelphia, a milestone for Phillies catcher JT Real Muto. Two and one. Now to right field. Soto going back toward the scoreboard. It is gone! Number 100 for JT Real Muto. It's an opposite field shot, a three-run bomb, and the Phils extend their lead. The call on NBC Sports Philadelphia, 12-6 the final. The Phillies beat the Nationals to take two of the final game. No, wait a minute. The last two. (laughs) Ah! To take the last two games of the three-game series. It's Monday. I'm tired Get off me. Philly used a seven-run fourth inning to erase a 3-0 deficit, then added two in the fifth and three in the sixth to blow it open. Juan Soto had an RBI triple and RBI single for the Nats. Now, a few other notes from that game yesterday. One bad, one just kind of bizarre. Nationals pitcher Austin Voth. Left the game in the top of the third. He was hit in the face uh, by a fastball from Vince Velazquez. Voth squared to bunt. Victor Robles was on first after he was hit by a pitch. Voth squared to bunt, 
And the fastball went up and in about 90 miles per and clipped Voth's helmet and kind of deflected off the bill, hit him in the nose, and broke his nose. He had blood coming out. He did walk off the field under his own power. And the team said that he was going to stay in Philadelphia to get the nose reset as the rest of the Nationals team head south uh, for a two-game series against Tampa starting tomorrow. Then later in the game, in the top of the eighth inning, this happened. Uh-oh. Netting oh, down. Netting down. has gone down. That's not good. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Well, it's never happened before. Not during a game. Andy, get out of there, Andy. He's caught in Spider-Man's web. Calling everyone off the field to fix it. Yeah, they're going to have to. I mean, fortunately, uh, everybody's okay because it was just the netting that came down. I don't know how you even fix something like that. I don't know where it detached originally. That was uh, Tom McCarthy and John Crook on NBC Sports Philadelphia. And you heard Crook at the beginning say, "Uh uh-oh, netting down, netting down. The netting fell down. Behind home plate. All the way to each dugout, the netting just collapsed. Not the cables, not the wires, just the netting. So nobody was, you know, nobody was hurt. And it took the grounds crew just over 20 minutes to, to fix it. What they did is they took the the, the wires or the nets and, and they took tractors and kind of using a, a pulley system. And they, and they used tractors to pull the net up and pull it tight until they can secure it to the guide wires. So just one of those, never seen it before. Never seen the net at a, at a stadium just fall down. But again, good news, nobody hurt. Just one of those bizarre situations. Phillies win the game and the series. So there you go. Uh, high school baseball and softball. We have a couple of section titles up for grabs today in Mineral County, weather permitting. The Frankfurt baseball team is hosting Berkeley Springs, and the Kaiser softball team is hosting Grafton. A win for either one, Frankfurt or Kaiser, will give them the section championship. A loss by either one means a second game will need to be played to decide the title. In Class A baseball, number 2 Petersburg today will take on number 1 Moorfield for the Region 2 Section 2 title. Petersburg needs to win to force a second game tomorrow. And we have some playoff baseball in Maryland. Yes, playoffs this side of the river. Mountain Ridge is hosting Fort Hill at 430. So there you go. Also some girls and boys tennis today. Fort Hill is also at Mountain Ridge at 315. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Caporelli Group. Uh, did anybody, please tell me, nobody paid money to see that farce of a boxing match last night. And this is what boxing has come to. Floyd Mayweather Jr. comes out of retirement for like, I don't know, the 30th time. And takes on this YouTube clown, Logan Paul, who I, I couldn't even... I hear this guy's name a lot. I don't know what he does. I don't know why he's YouTube famous. I can only imagine because he acts like an idiot on YouTube. I don't know. Maybe he, maybe he's a nice guy. Maybe he has good YouTube videos, although I doubt it. 
Anyway, this match is put together. And it's Logan Paul against Floyd Mayweather Jr. It was an exhibition match last night. It wasn't sanctioned. It, I think it was in Florida, right? It was in Florida. Wasn't sanctioned. So there were no judges. So there, there couldn't even be a, a, a real winner unless somebody was knocked out. Like it, it was so bizarre how they put it together. It was an eight-round fight, eight three-minute rounds, of course. <laughs> they wore 10-ounce gloves, no judges, no official winner was read, although knockouts were legal. The Florida State Boxing Commission did not, as I said, officially sanction the fight because there were, you know, Logan Paul is actually bigger than Floyd uh, Mayweather. But Mayweather has, you know, a heck of a lot more experience. But they did provide a referee. So there so at least there was a referee in the boxing match. Uh ESPN, for whatever reason, uh scored the bout 78-74 for Mayweather. It was it's it was a joke. It's a fight. I mean, come on. The fight it went eight, right? It went, it went to distance. It says Mayweather landed 43 punches in, in eight rounds. Really? The people pay for this crap? Seriously. People actually paid like what, what was the pay? Like 40, 50 bucks? The, the pay-per-view? What, is that what it is now? It was on Showtime pay-per-view. God, boxing is such is such a mess. Like th- this is what qualifies as I mean, it's not even boxing anymore. It's just exhibition, exhibition against YouTube stars and old retired boxers for a money grab. That's all it was. Of course it was. Why else would you do it? Why else would you do it? The fight was promoted by Mayweather Promotion. So, of course, of course, Floyd Mayweather has more money than the earth got dirt, but he continues to come back and fight. For reasons I can't even figure out. Like, why would you do that? You're Floyd, you're Floyd Mayweather. You're one of the greatest pound-for-pound pound fighters of all time. Of all time. Why would you come, why would you, like, tarnish your reputation as one of the greatest boxers ever to come out and do this and fight this clown, Logan Paul? For nothing. For a, a fight that wasn't even legal. That wasn't, you know, and people pay for this? <laughs> I can't wait to see the numbers. I can't wait to see the numbers of how many. I won't now. I won't I won't I won't name call. I won't name call. If it's your money, you do what you want to. If you want if you wanted to spend money on that f- farce fiasco, it's your money, you do with it what you want. But I will laugh at you. Just know that. Just know that. I will laugh at you for spending good, hard-earned money on that crap last night. That's where boxing is. That's where boxing, horse racing, those two sports used to be the kings at one point. And you youngsters will never know this. But boxing and horse racing, bigger than football, bigger than hockey, 
Bigger than basketball. I don't know if there's bigger than baseball. Baseball may have been up there too. But there used to be in time when boxing was special. Now it's just this. Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. And people actually pay money for that crap. It's amazing. But, and here's the thing. If people are going to pay money and you're going to make money, why not? Why not? Right? If, if people are willing to pay for it, might as well do it. There's no way. I, would, I wouldn't have watched that fight last night for free. Unless you fed me and gave me some beverages. Then then maybe. Maybe. You can entice me with, you know, eats and drinks. But I wouldn't waste it. Why, why, why waste the time? It's just a it's a it's a spectacle. Boxing is just it's such a joke. Anyway. On to uh, some real sports and some real news in the world of sports. Julio Jones. Finally, after weeks of speculation and rumors, uh, he has a new home. Yesterday, the Falcons agreeing to trade Jones to the Tennessee Titans. Titans will send a 2022 second-round draft pick, a 2023 fourth-round draft pick, and that's it. The Falcons, along with Julio Jones, will send a six-round pick in 2023 to Tennessee. Now, I know Julio, not what he once was. He's a little older. He's a little more injury-prone. But when he's healthy, he can still produce at a pretty high level. So the Titans getting him for just a second-rounder and a fourth-rounder, when originally the Falcons were asking for a first-rounder, But for a second and a fourth, that's a pretty good deal. Now, the deal is pending a physical, which again, with Julio's recent injury track record, that's not a guarantee that he passes the physical. But if he does, then he will be part of the Tennessee Titans this coming season. Here's ESPN's Adam Schefter on why Julio wanted out of the ATL. I think he wanted to be around a team that had a chance to win. I, I think, honestly, he wanted it out of Atlanta. He wanted to move on. And this is ultimately where it came in at, to the Tennessee Titans. There were other teams that asked around about Julio, the Rams, the 49ers, the Eagles, the Bears, like they, people asking around. But the Titans were the most serious the entire time, and they were the team in the end uh, that made it happen. 32, I, I think you're looking at getting, realistically, two good seasons uh, out of him here, maybe longer, depending on how he takes care of his body. He's always struggled to practice, but he's always been, when healthy, one of the best players in all of football. Uh, he's a future Hall of Fame player, in my mind. He's a great player. And so every player takes care of themselves differently, but I think that the Titans make the trade knowing that they'll get two good years, hopefully really good years in their mind, out of Julio Jones, and uh, anything beyond that would be a bonus. With a uh, With a breakdown of how this trade kind of went down. Here's uh, Diana Rossini. Atlanta was really looking for a good price here. And they knew they had some leverage here because Julio can still play when he's healthy. And there are teams out there really looking, obviously, to be able to add now that free agency and the draft is over. 
And the Tennessee Titans were, I would consider them a lukewarm interested team at the start of this, meaning that at the start of when, when it really became public that Julio wanted a trade and the Falcons were willing to do that. And I had my eye on them. And, it, and you know, Adam Schefter and I had been reporting a lot that we knew the Titans were in it. But I had reported, actually, guys, two weeks ago that a really good source out of Tennessee told me that this was going to be a long shot. So I started focusing on a lot of other teams here who were coming up with some really good compensation, guys. There was a one team that was willing to deal a future first-round draft pick for Julio, and the deal fell through at the final hour. So then Atlanta kept moving on, moving on, kept talking to teams. This past Friday, more teams were jumping in. And then yesterday afternoon, it became pretty clear Tennessee wanted him badly. And Tennessee was looking for receiving help because two of their top catchers from last year, gone. Corey Davis, a receiver, he signed with uh, the Jets. And the tight end, Jonu Smith, signed with the Patriots. So they were in the market for receiving help. I don't know if the market was (laughs) – they were actually looking that big at Julio Jones, but now Jones joins an offense that has A.J. Brown, who nobody on the planet is happier today than A.J. Brown. Derrick Henry still in that backfield. Tannehill, more – he's proven to be more than just a serviceable uh, serviceable quarterback – in the National Football League. Now, obviously, this trade affects not one but two teams. The team that Julio Jones is going to and the team that he just left. First of all, the team he's going to, the Titans. Again, I mentioned Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, Tannehill. That offense, I think, was fourth in the league last year in points scored. Now they add Julio Jones. With the impact on the Titans, uh, here is uh, ESPN, a Titans reporter, at Teron Davenport. This is one of those situations where you have some of the top players on the team lobbying for this guy to become a Titan, and here it is, it came true. And just schematically, when you look at just how this lays out, before Julio Jones' arrival, A.J. Brown was probably going to face bracket coverage on, I would say, at least 75% of his snaps. Now, I, I just talked to A.J. Brown not too long ago, and, and now – you know, it's a situation where you don't know who the number one corner is going to follow, and whoever gets the second corner is going to be in a little bit of trouble. That's what A.J. Brown said, and it really holds true. So it just brings tremendous balance to the offense. Now, again, this is assuming that he stays healthy. He stays healthy. He's a serious threat. Right? Obviously, if he doesn't stay healthy, then the trade doesn't pay off for Tennessee because he can't he doesn't play. Can't help if he don't play. But good luck if Julio is healthy. Good luck facing the Titans this year with him on one side and AJ Brown on the other. And Derrick Henry in the backfield. Now, Tennessee's defense is still suspect. So <laughs> they may have to, you know. As I hate when people say this because it's obvious, but you know, they're gonna have to outscore other teams to win because their defense is still a little bit shaky. But if he is healthy, 
tremendous upgrade at the receiver position for the Titans. Now, that leaves Atlanta with a huge hole to fill. And how Julio's departure affects the Falcons, here's former uh, Falcons receiver uh, Brian Finneran. I think we, we had come to grips with the fact that this had to happen based off of the salary cap situation that the Falcons were in. And um, but the fact you don't really believe it until it happens. So here this afternoon and uh, texting back and forth with different guys on my show and, and buddies, uh, there's a little bit of anger. There's a little bit of disappointment. Uh, reality finally kicking in that, like you said, the best offensive weapon for the Falcons is now gone, and it had to be part of the plan because if it's true that Julio's people went to uh, Terry Fondo and Arthur Smith months ago, then they did this. They did the draft with this in, in mind, and obviously we're trying to find a trade partner. So I think the idea that um, Kyle Pitts can help fill that void a little bit should play a big role. I think he'll be somewhat rejuvenated. I think playing on the Falcons the last couple years with the win-loss record that we had has been super uh, frustrating for Julio. So I think you go to a team with a, a defense that's legit, you got off a run game that's ridiculous and a quarterback that's been playing pretty much lights out the last year and a half in Ryan Tannehill. I think he's excited. I think he's uh, going to be rejuvenated. Over the last 10 seasons, check this out. Over the last 10 seasons, Julio Jones leads the NFL with 58 100-yard receiving games. All right, The Titans, as an entire team, have had 50 in that same span. So Julio Jones by himself over the last decade has eight more 100-yard receiving games than the entire Titans team over the last decade. Also during that span, uh, Jones has three 200-yard games, the Titans zero. And he's had even one 300-yard game, the Titans zero. Now, as far as what Vegas thinks about this trade, Caesars Sportsbook by William Hill improved the Titans' odds to win the Super Bowl. They moved them from 35 to 1 to 30 to 1. Odds to win the AFC Championship improved from 18 to 1 to 15 to 1. And the Titans' odds to win the AFC South. Improved from plus 120 to plus 110, which ties them with the Colts. So now, because of one trade, Julio Jones, the Titans are now tied with the Colts' as favorites to win the AFC South. If he stays healthy, he can definitely get it done. All right, stick around. News, weather, break coming up. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Looking at some of these numbers during the break, one thing I did not realize, all right, the Falcons, look, they drafted Jones uh, six overall in 2011. He's a Falcons career leader in catches with 848, which you expect that, right? He is the Falcons' career leader in receiving yards, 12,896, which I think you would expect that. What I didn't know 
is that he is not the team's all-time leading receiver with touchdown catches. Roddy White is actually the Falcons' all-time leader in touchdown catches. I had no idea. I automatically assumed that Julio Jones led in all categories. Now, it doesn't say here how many Roddy White has, but Julio Jones had 63 touchdown catches with Atlanta. So, obviously, Roddy White had more. If you would have asked me before today's show, hey, who's the Falcons' all-time leader in touchdown catches? I would have said Julio Jones. Wouldn't even hesitate. But it's actually Roddy White. How about that? Julio's 95-and-a-half receiving yards per game is the best per-game average in NFL history. Almost 10 full yards better than Calvin Johnson, who is second at 86.1. How about that? Now, last, and this we talk about the trade and the payoff, Jones had one of his worst seasons last year. He only played nine games because of injury. 51 catches, 771 yards, three touchdowns. And there's always the question mark when you're dealing with somebody who is a little bit older with now an an injury history. Titans obviously hoping to get more than nine games out of him this year. Anything less than that or around that, the Falcons win the trade. It's all going to depend on Julio's health. Speaking of health, as we transition into something else. What a weird weekend it was at the Memorial uh, Tournament in Ohio. Patrick Cantlay gets the win yesterday. He beats uh, Colin Morikawa in a playoff. Okay, uh, Cantlay had a par on the first playoff hole. He beats Morikawa by a stroke to win the Memorial. But what happened on Saturday is what makes the entire thing just... I don't know if bizarre is the right word. But John Rahm was absolutely dominating the memorial. He was he had a six-shot lead. And he was blowing the field away until he came off the 18th green on Saturday when he was told by the PGA, you've tested positive for COVID, you're done. Now, it was announced earlier that Rom had been in contact with somebody who had tested positive. So Rom was in the contact tracing program. And he was getting tested every single day, okay? And he tested negative every single day until Saturday. He had just tied the 54-hole record at the Memorial, at 18 under, 198. That six-shot lead tied the Memorial record set by Tiger Woods. And then he was done. I guess there were two tests that day. The second test came back. But like, like literally, like as soon as he finished his round, they, they wouldn't even let him in to, to sign his scorecard. Like, it was just... Dude was rolling. 
setting and tying records at the memorial, and then just like that, done. Here's ESPN's Bob Herrick. I just think they were in a tough spot. They were in a difficult spot there. They didn't want him to go inside and sign his card. They didn't want him to mingle with fans, you know, who might have been lining that entryway that he would have been walking through. You notice that those officials put masks on when they went to talk to him. Such a fast-paced situation. I mean, they had just gotten the second test back at 6.05, which is right around when he was finishing. Like, he was on the green when they got word that they were going to have to tell him. So that was very unfortunate, but I'm not sure what what better they could have done, frankly. There's no blueprint for this. Uh, This has not happened in a year of golf. They've not had, you know, this is basically their worst nightmare, and, and this has not occurred through all this time. And here we are at this point in the process where we think we're pretty much out of it. And, you know, to have it happen during a tournament is bad enough, but to have it happen to the leader you know, it's obviously just terrific. Now, Cantley said that he was, like, after Rome shot that 64, had that lead, Cantley was like, he was trying to figure out what he had to do to even have a chance, to even get back into contention. And then all of a sudden, Rome's out of the tournament. And again, like you just heard Bob Herrick say, a sticky situation to say the least. The PGA, after a full year of not having to deal with this, suddenly has to deal with it. And apparently, and I forget the name, so forgive me, the two guys that Ron was playing with had already tested positive. They, they already had COVID. So it's not like they were in any imminent danger. Not that he couldn't catch it again, but the concern wasn't as high. But they, they, the PGA did everything short of whisking Rom away in a helicopter, right? Wouldn't let him go sign his scorecard. Wouldn't let him near the fans. Immediately put mask on. And they treated him like a leper. And I guess my question is: At what point does that stop? At what point does that kind of reaction come to an end? I don't know what the vaccination policy is with PGA. I don't know how many golfers have gotten vaccinated. Or how many, I, I don't know. But if the golfers are vaccinated, then what's the problem? If you're worried about the fans so much, then you shouldn't have them there. Because it is very possible, obviously, that somebody could could get COVID during a tournament. So if you're really that concerned about the fans being exposed, why you have them there? Like, at what point... Does this stop being what happened on Saturday? They wouldn't even let the man sign a scorecard. They they wouldn't even. It was just immediate. Do not pass go. Do not collect 200 bucks. Sorry, you're leading the tournament, but you're done. You tested positive. You're done. At what point does that change? At what point does that stop being the reaction when somebody tests positive? At what point does it stop being that big of a deal that somebody tests positive? Since we got the vaccinations rolling, think you know we got mask mandates all of a sudden, you know, I haven't worn a mask in public in probably two weeks. 
Anywhere I've gone. Anywhere I've gone. Stores, you name it. Restaurants, whatever. I haven't worn one in two weeks. I still got to wear one here for some reason. I don't know. Oh, yes, it's still a concern. Yes, there is still a pandemic going on. I get that. I understand that. I'm not that foolish. There are a lot of people who still aren't vaccinated. We're, we're not out of the woods yet. But we're getting there. Things are opening back up. Things are getting back to the way they used to be. At what point, and that's just the question I'm asking. I don't have an answer. I'm just asking the question. At what point does something like what happened Saturday to John Rahm happen and it's not this immediate, automatic panic situation? Oh, my God. Let's get him out of here. Let's whisk him away. Let's tuck him into the car and drive him away, get him away from everybody. At what point does that stop? That that stop being the reaction? I don't know. Hopefully it's soon because I feel bad for John Rohn. All right, one final break. Back to wrap it up. Stick around, WCMD. This is the morning rush. Uh, before I get out of here. What do you say we check on the uh, player who delivered brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard? How about the Golden Knight with the Hattie? Marcia Sill again, left corner, up top, Petrangelo waits to the left. Marcia Sill scores! Power play goal! Ripped it home from the left circle! 3 to 1, Golden Knights! 8.32 to go in the second. Smith and Marcia Sill buzzing in front. Marcia Sill! Hat track! Golden Knights take a 3 goal lead! Set it up across the crease. Marcia so delivers a playoff hat trick. And the Golden Knights on top of the abs. 4-1 in game four. The calls on Fox Sports 98-9. Jonathan Marcia so his first ever career playoff hat trick. To help Vegas beat Colorado 5-1 and tie up their second round series at two games apiece. I told you earlier, it's been a fantastic series. Avs won the first two in Colorado. Knights have won the last two in Vegas. Two phenomenal teams going at it. so the Hattie. He is a player who delivered, uh, again, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Uh, the Canadiens, by the way, delivering... A whooping to Winnipeg. Short-handed two-on-one. Armia, right side. Joel Armia. Drag, shoot, scores! What a goal! Joel Armia with the Canadiens' second short-handed goal of the playoffs, and it's 3-0 Montreal. That call on TSN 690. Montreal beats Winnipeg 5-1. They have a commanding three-games-to-none lead in their uh, North Division semifinal. One win away from advancing to the conference final against either Colorado or Vegas. And you have to wonder how much the Mark Shifley suspension is affecting Winnipeg. Because he got suspended for that uh, terrible hit in Game 1. He's suspended for four games. He might not be seen the rest of the year. Unless somehow Winnipeg can, you know, find a way to come back. What we do know is there is going to be a Canadian team in the conference final, whether it be Montreal or Winnipeg. 
Good news for those teams and the U.S. teams. The NHL reached an agreement with the Canadian government to allow for cross-border travel beginning with the Stanley Cup semifinals or the Western Conference Finals. That announcement came down yesterday. NHL teams coming from the U.S. will be able to play in Canada but are subject to enhanced health protocols much like they had to go through in the bubble last year. With more, here's ESPN's Emily Kaplan. All season long, the NHL has not been able to do cross-border travel between the U.S. and Canada because the border remains closed. But over the last several weeks, the NHL has been working with the Canadian government. And today, they finally announced they have struck a deal where U.S. teams will be able to go to Canada for the semifinal round as long as they fly privately get tested every day and do not interact with the general public. There definitely was some trepidation that this wouldn't be able to happen. Um, The Canadian government has been quite strict throughout this entire pandemic. There were, however, contingency plans from the NHL. They would have relocated the remaining Canadian team, whether it be the Winnipeg Jets or Montreal Canadiens, to a neutral site in the United States. That wasn't ideal, though. The goal was always to get that team to be able to play in their home arena. So there you go. U.S. teams are now allowed to cross the border. Although it's funny because last time I checked, it seemed like Canada is a much worse spot than we are right now. But anyway, that's beside the point. Whether it be Colorado or Vegas, they will be allowed to cross over and play either Montreal or Winnipeg. And uh, one more thing, one more nugget before I bounce. Uh, Some history was made. Uh, in Major League Baseball yesterday. Hendricks has the sign. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. White Sox win. Congratulations, Hall of Famer Tony La Russa. Career win, 2,764. He's getting hugs from his coaching staff. He now is in sole possession of second on the all-time list. He has the most wins by any manager with a winning record in the history of Major League Baseball. There you go. The call on ESPN 1000. Tony La Russa, love him, hate him, whatever. The man wins. Now second all-time Major League Baseball's win list, 2,764. Trails only Connie Mack. On that list. And as you heard the call right there, Connie Mack ended up with a losing record. So LaRussa tops number one in all time wins among managers with winning records. So congrats to Tony LaRussa. I know a lot of people don't like him for whatever reason. You have your reasons, that's fine. I like him. Congratulations to Tony. All right, that's it. I'm done. Hey, real quick, head over to TurtleBids.com today, 9 o'clock, a second chance sale on items still available for purchase. Again, head over to TurtleBids.com. Second chance sale starts today. Amanda's coming up next. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you back here tomorrow, 6 a.m. Sharpest is the morning rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see you.